1: Welcome, everyone, to the 10th episode now of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week about uh, the financial markets and financial planning world. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. Um, so as always, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And it's been uh, a rough month so far, um, uh, just finishing out these last couple days of August here. And this data is from stockcharts.com. So the S&P 500 index is down 3.1% for the month and up 15.2% for the year. The Dow is down 2.78 for the month and up 13.44% for the year. The NASDAQ down 3.9% for the month and up 18.41% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 is down 6.4% for the month and up 10.12% for the year. The international index, uh, X united States, is down 3.83% for the month and up 6.78% for the year. The three-month treasury yield currently is at 1.99%, the two-year treasury 1.5%, and the 10-year treasury sitting at 1.47%. Um, So this past week, uh, Matt, it kind of seems like uh, the tweet storms from President Trump have been uh, driving the markets and have had a decent impact on
2: volatility over the past week or so. I mean, absolutely, Mark. I mean, think about what are those two big topics that we have the market focused on right now? Yeah, China and the Fed. Yeah. And so it's, you know, and of course, the president's um, tweets have a a powerful impact on investor sentiment, right? Right. And so it's no surprise as the less things that the market has to focus on, the more volatile it's been.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we're seeing, you know, this morning when we're recording this podcast on August 29th, uh, futures are up, you know, close to 1% because it's been um, crickets (laughs) for the past couple of days, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It's amazing
2: how, you know, the, the news flow, you know, kind of calms down, say, on the trade front. And all of a sudden, that money comes right back. Right back in. The in. Market. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, moving on, uh, Matt, you had a um, a note from uh, Braver Capital Management,
2: I think. That- Correct, Mark. So um, I saw this on August twenty third. Again, Braver Capital Management. Title of the note was Volatility Returns, and it said, "You may be feeling a bit of a whiplash this month, both from the headlines and the daily swings in the market." And this morning's big moves are further evidence that volatility has returned. Since the S&P 500 index hit its most recent record high on July 26th, the index has fallen by 1.1% or risen by that amount on average each day since that time period. Okay, And then before July 26th, the average daily move so far this year was 0.6%. So we are experiencing double, double, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, the amount of volatility day-to-day that we were experiencing before the market hit a high on July 26th. So a couple points I want to make. You know, we believe it's important to keep volatility in perspective. The underlying value of companies traded on major stock exchanges does not change as quickly as their share prices might suggest. Sentiment moves stocks on a day-to-day basis with a little bit of qualitative data adding to the mix, and we aren't dismissive of volatility, which can be unnerving. Nervousness, though it is not an investment discipline or plan. Instead, it's a heightened state of awareness that things could go wrong, that awareness is ever-present in our analysis and assessment of what we know versus what others fear and claim to know of the markets and of your portfolios. You know, so here at Jessup Wealth Management, our investment strategies are built to react to data, not emotions. Mark, any comment to kind of that note?
1: No, I think that's well said. I mean, you know, here the way we do things, obviously, we're looking out at least 12, 18 months, and we're not worrying about the daily fluctuations uh, from day to day in the market. Because, like we just said, over the past week, a tweet can, you know, send the markets down one or one and a half percent in a day. But we have to be thinking long term um, and not. You know, pay attention to these daily volatile swings because it's more sentiment driven, like you said, than data
2: driven. Absolutely. And I just like kind of noting that, you know, yes, volatility is up. We have a statistic that goes along with that. So you're just not feeling that uh, incorrectly. That's a correct uh, perception and volatility is up. Mm -hmm. So we're just kind of acknowledging that. Yeah. So I'll let you uh, continue, Mark.
1: Yeah. Um, So that's kind of just the recap from what happened over the past week. And um, obviously, um, you know, there haven't been too many earnings reports since we were kind of past that. But um, Target had a nice report, Matt. Yeah, they did. And um, it really kind
2: of buoyed the whole kind of sentiment towards the consumer.
1: Yeah. Right. Towards the retail, the retail sector, too, because that's been a beaten down
2: area of the market for the past couple of years. Yeah. And it it, did. All this data that comes in from them and some other retailers is telling me that the consumer is still out in full force spending.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have a couple more points about that here coming up. Um, so moving on to um, articles and tweets and research from the week that Matt and I found interesting. Um, Matt, you had a note about
2: B, uh, from Bespoke Investment Group. Yep, I'll go first. Bespoke Investment Group, Mark, um, August 27th, about 9 a.m. in the morning. They said that the yield on the 30-year U.S. Treasury dropped below the S&P 500 index dividend yield for the first time since March of 2009. And it's the only second time that this has happened since 1977, and that's as far back as the chart went from Bespoke. Yeah. So this is definitely not a common occurrence. Right, right. And I saw that too, Matt. And um, just to
1: follow up on that, on uh, that same day, I think later in the afternoon, Bespoke sent out another note outlining that stack in a little bit more detail. So they said that uh, of the components in the S and P 500, 333 stocks yield more than the five-year treasury, 313 stocks yield more than the 10-year treasury, and 256 stocks yield more than the 30-year treasury. Um, so you know that's pretty pretty telling of uh, you know where yields are today, and I think that. You know, eventually money has to flow back into the stock market because you're just not going to be able to get a return on your money from these treasuries, especially if they keep going lower.
2: Yeah, and what comes to mind for me, Mark, as you're saying that, is I'm thinking of the very, very long-term investors, i.e. a lot of pension funds, right? So I think historically a lot of these pension funds um, had a good amount of exposure to, say, bonds. But if you're going to be getting 1.5% for 10 years— or not even two anymore for 30 years per year. You know, I think what you're going to see is it's going to force a lot of, say, pension funds to go up the risk curve. They know, okay, I can buy the S&P 500, get a larger dividend yield than I would get an interest from, say, a 10 year or 30 year bond. And it's a better inflation hedge given they have such a long Time horizon, these pension funds. Right. So I would support your comment that I think it's going to kind of begin with the real long term time horizon focused investment funds like pensions. And who knows, it'll probably domino from there.
1: Yeah. And given the fact that we both know that, you know, a lot of these big Pension funds, you know, have a lot of liabilities and unfunded liabilities right now. So you ain't gonna get it done at one and a half percent. No, you're definitely not, and especially no. you know, adjusted for inflation, it's pretty much nothing. No. Right. So um, another note from Matt about. Um, uh, talking about uh, Freddie Mac and delinquency rates. Yeah, from- this, is,
2: this is a real neat one, Mark. So this is from uh, an industry blog called Calculated Risk. And this is from August 26th in the afternoon, right after the market closed. And the title uh, was, Freddie Mac says that they are seeing the lowest delinquency rates since November 2007 for mortgages. So, Mark, what does this tell you about the consumer? They're strong. Strong. They're very strong. You know, couple
1: that with what we just said about uh, about Target, and I know last week we talked about um, we talked about something about the the consumer. I can't really remember what exactly that was, but. There's a lot of conflicting data right now because uh, we're at historically low unemployment. The consumer spending is strong. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we're getting yield curve inversions Mm -hmm. um, coupled with the Fed lowering interest rates and the China trade war. So it's like this balancing act of you know where are we going? And I think the market is articulating that and just kind of chopping sideways at this point.
2: Yeah. And it has really, if you look at the chart of the S&P, we've been in this sideways choppy market since that market high of July 26th, right? Right. So, the other thing I was going to throw out there and say this, you know, in retrospect, what followed November 2007 for real estate prices, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, real estate was on fire at that time, and you and I both know that these things tend to be more cyclical in nature, mm-hmm. especially real estate prices. Yeah. Any comment?
1: Yeah, so uh, real estate's on fire again right now. <laughs> yes. So eventually, you know, there'll be a reversion to the mean, but, um, you know, I personally think it'll look exactly like it did in 2007 and 2008. But there's oh, going to be a time where real estate does begin to
2: cool off. Yeah, softens a little bit. You know, I think that we've been in this trend where interest rates have been moving lower and lower on these mortgages, right? So what has it been doing? It's been pushing up affordability uh, in the form of what someone can afford in the the price of a home.
1: Right. That's fueled it. Yeah.
2: Um, The lower employment figures, unemployment figures, have fueled it, right? So what tends to happen if, down the road, we go in a rising interest rate environment? So that could be the beginning of, say, some headwinds for real estate. Yeah, Just maybe things people should keep in the back of their mind. Well,
1: for sure. And I think that's when you start to get worried about what happened in two thousand and eight because, you know, people can afford mortgages at, you know, three percent per se, but can they afford them at five or six percent? It's a big maybe difference. Maybe not. You know, maybe if unemployment stays low and people stay employed, maybe, but I think that's kind of a dangerous game that the Fed plays about, you know, moving interest rates. If we're gonna adjust to a lower rate now just to increase in another two or three years, I think that You know, that could potentially be a dangerous situation.
2: Yeah, I mean, once it becomes the standard, right, and these rates become, you know, the norm, as they go back up, people are quick to forget that we can still have a healthy environment at 4% or 5% mortgage rates. But if we get in this situation where people get used to these low rates and then we adjust higher, that could be a shock to the system. Yeah, for sure. Something people should be aware of.
1: Right, Right, for sure. Um, And then I had an article that I read um, that's titled, Here's the Driving Force Behind My Bullishness by Tom And I've read a couple articles from Tom um, on this podcast before, and this is from his blog, Trading Places, on August 27th. So Tom says, those thinking we're heading for a bear, bear market are badly misled, in my opinion. It's easy to think that we're starting a bear market. Watch CNBC for an hour. The sky is falling. Of course, I could be wrong, but this market is not set up for a bear market. I just don't see it. Record low unemployment, respectable job growth, low interest rates, accommodative central bankers, what we just talked about, Matt. Yep. And that is going to drive equity prices lower. I think we're... In a very similar position to 2016, where we consolidated, had a quick false breakdown, then exploded higher. I see a similar market later this year and into 2020. Relative strength cannot be overemphasized nor overstated. When we're at or near major tops, money rotates to defensive uh, sectors and the relative breakdowns are obvious as the market sells off. So I kind of agree with Tom here, Matt. We haven't seen a major rotation out of the aggressive sectors like uh, technology or communication services or financials into or uh, consumer discretionary and back into uh, the staples just yet. There's been some strength, been,
2: yeah, but, but yeah. it's
1: been on a relatively short-term basis. yeah. Um, so I kind of agree with him here. So he makes a good point. And again, it's just more conflicting data that we're getting. Um, you know, from all these different sources.
2: Yeah, I would just say, from my perspective, underlying data so far continues to be healthy. Um, I do think, say, between now and next summer, I just think we're going to be in a heightened state of volatility, a lot of chop, a lot of big up days, big down days, market trading on every rumor, sentiment. So I just think this is an environment where. Uh, Investors have to um, allocate for their goals and objectives and risk tolerance. And uh, this is not a time, in my view, to get overly aggressive, just given how much volatility I think we're going to continue to have.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That's just a
2: generalized statement, of Mm -hmm. course.
1: Um, And then finally, just to wrap up um, tweets and articles and research from the week, I saw a tweet um, from Sean Emery on August 28th And he tweeted a chart of the S&P 500, which shows and highlighted each time the S&P 500 dividend yield minus the 10-year treasury yield went above a half a percent. And according to Sean, the only other times this occurred was in 2009, 2011, 2012, and 2015, and now. So each time this happened, it was very close near a low, and the market ran up from there, so you know another bullish piece of information that you know obviously you know the first time this happened was in 2009, so it's not a lot of data to go back to, but just another point that you know says you know we might be ready for another kick higher here over the next couple of months.
2: Yeah, in essence, what has happened is is now stocks have become competition for bonds for con- more conservative money, the people that have a little bit more longer time horizon. And it's only a matter of time, as you were kind of indicating earlier, that people with longer term time horizons start trading away from bonds and more into stocks because why? They're going to get paid more. Yeah. And I think that that within itself, at some point, if we have further downside, will provide a little bit of cushion.
1: Yeah, right? you know, yeah, for just sure. Just something
2: people to keep in
1: mind. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that that was an interesting chart. So very good. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so if anyone wants to see that, you can go on Twitter and just look at um, Sean D. Emery's Twitter account, and you can kind of see that chart where he highlights those um, instances over the past uh, decade or so.
2: And that was just from yesterday. That
1: was just from yesterday. Yep. Yeah. So- um, so moving on to the financial planning topic of the week um, was kind of sparked by an article written by uh, Michael Batnick on his blog, the, In- the Irrelevant Investor, and this was back on August 25th, so just a few days ago. And the, the blog article is titled, Calibrating Your Risk Tolerance. So, I think this is pretty timely given the market volatility that we've experienced over the past week or so. So, I thought it would be good to share. I think this is spot on, Mark. Good job on this one. So, um, starting off, Michael says you can learn a lot about yourself as an investor on a single day. Um, For many, Friday, which was last Friday, August 23rd, was one of those days. With trade war rhetoric heating up, and the stock market melting down, you likely experience some internal turbulence. If the drop on Friday made you nervous about your portfolio to the point where you felt like pushing a button, you're probably taking too much risk. If you felt calm and relaxed, chances are you could afford to take a little bit more of it. And if you experience moderate discomfort without feeling the need to log in and check your balance, you're doing it right. So he goes on to say that making decisions based on the news of the day is almost never a good idea, which kind of goes back to your point earlier, Matt, that, you know, these day-to-day fluctuations are driven by investor sentiment. Um, and, you know, you got to keep in mind the long-term goal here and not let yourself get caught up on, you know, the CNBC markets and turmoil presentations that they have when the market drops by a percent and a half during a day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, Michael says, but if you recently discovered that your risk tolerance wasn't properly calibrated, now might be an okay time to get to a place that lets you sleep at night, especially with the S&P 500 just 6% off all-time highs. And I think this is a really good point, Matt, because if someone is freaking out now when we're so close to all-time highs – you know, a change needs to be made because how are they going to react when the market's down another, you know, 15 or 20 percent? Absolutely. This article is very timely, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was great. So um, continues on that there are two ways that risk can ruin you by taking way too much of it or taking way too little. The sooner you can properly calibrate your true risk tolerance, the better off you'll be. And I know that there's several pieces of software out there, Matt, to help people calibrate and calculate their risk tolerance. Um, so people just need to find that risk reward balance without um, being too detrimental to themselves of being too conservative and not allowing for their portfolios to grow. But at the same time, if, if you're not sleeping at night with what's going on in the market, then, you know, you're on the higher end of the risk tolerance and you probably shouldn't be.
2: That's right. So remember, what are the two um, emotions when it comes to investing? Fear and greed. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, we've been in an environment lately where, you know, fear is back in vogue. Mm-hmm. And I think that that clouds a lot of investors' uh, decision making process. And vice versa occurs um, in, say, June and July, where you know the greed factor was definitely in vogue. Mm-hmm. So, what I would say is if you are having trouble sleeping at night, I would highly encourage you, if you're working with a professional, to set up a meeting face to face, have that discussion. Right? If you're one that um, is not seeing any volatility right now, that also might be a cause as you <laughs> recommend it for mm-hmm. a conversation. Because you probably are way too conservative. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think this is a very timely article and I I think um, it makes a lot of sense to highlight it at this time. So good job. Yeah. Um,
1: So we didn't have any questions uh, submitted from listeners. So we haven't had any in a couple weeks. So if anyone um, has any questions, please uh, submit some questions to us so we can get that answered. Because, like we said before, we want this podcast to be for the listeners, driven by the listeners. Um, so, definitely uh, keep the questions coming so we can talk about things that everyone wants to hear. So, um, before we kind of wrap up, Matt, is there anything else you want to mention before? Nope. I hope everyone has a great um, Labor Day weekend with friends and family. Yeah. So everyone, thank you again for listening to the 10th episode now of the Independent Advisors podcast. It's kind of hard to imagine we're already on 10. Been doing this for 10 weeks. Doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Goes by fast. So um, just to mimic what Matt said, we hope you all have a wonderful and safe, long Labor Day weekend. Enjoy time with friends and family. And we will be back with you next
2: Thursday. Take care, everyone.
0: Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com. And we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances.